CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Hello, it's Great Cup Week. Yeah, looking forward to it. I really am. Don't know if it's the sexiest matchup, but hey, what do you expect? When you don't come through in your end, it's open to whoever's going to show up here. Now, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers get to be in the Riders' locker room. If that isn't enough to make you puke. Uh, they'll take on the Toronto Argonauts. Should be a good one. Looking forward to it. And the Grey Cup week gets fired up here. I think the Grey Cup arrived today at 15-wing Moose Jaw, if I'm not mistaken, with an esteemed colonel and our commissioner, Randy Ambrosi. This show is brought to you on a Monday uh, by our friends at Andrew Sherrod Limited, pl- uh, providing plumbing, HVAC, and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 18. 18- 92. Learn more at Sherrod.com. The number to text, and we know you want to text at 936-6262. It's powered by Capital Ford Lincoln at the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua, the number one Ford dealership in the province. And all our guests, and we always have lots of guests here on the Sports Cage, come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Yes, indeed. We'll get to the news of the day as it relates to off-field stuff in the CFL in a minute because it ties into our first text of the day. But it's the Argos and the Blue Bombers in Grey Cup 109. We're kind of lucky the Bombers are in it in terms of the economy because you know Winnipeg will travel west. Manitoban football fans will be here to cheer on their team as they go for their third straight Grey Cup championship. They will say this is, they've joked that this is uh, their number B stadium because they have such success here at Mosaic Stadium. They won a West final here. They've even been good in recent Labor Day classics here. And so they are uh, claiming this. And Mike O'Shea even said after the game, he wants this to be like a home game. It's going to be great for our economy. I know a lot of the hotels are a little worried that it'd be empty this week, but now they might not even have enough hotel rooms as those Bomber fans come here to cheer on their team and maybe check out what we call dentists here in Saskatchewan so they can check. What is a de- Hey, Mom, what's a de- de- dentist? Does that fix the dance on your car? No, they're teeth, son. They're teeth. Teeth? What are teeth? I got a tooth. Anyway, Manitobans are coming here. Should be a great time. Uh, and the Toronto Argonauts are coming here with McLeod Bethel Thompson. Finally won a playoff game. What a great performance from McLeod Bethel Thompson. He only had eight incomplete passes. They uh, had 299 yards passing through the air, two touchdown passes, and the Toronto Argonauts beat the Montreal Alouettes by a count of 34-27. Of course, the uh, the uh, Blue Bombers 28-20 over the BC Lions. Now, here's an interesting thing. The Argos have never lost to the Bombers in the CFL's big game. They're 6-0 against Winnipeg. Uh, you need to go back to 1950 to find the last time these teams squared off in the Grey Cup. That year, the Bombers were also the cream of the CFL crop before finding themselves knee-deep in mud and on the losing end of a CFL classic. It was the 38th Grey Cup played at Toronto's Varsity Stadium on November 25, 1950 in the game known as the Mud Bowl. 
see a, a substantial snowfall that day before the game uh, led to the officials bringing in heavy equipment to clear the field. But the machinery chewed up the grass, then temperatures climbed the next morning, turning the snow to water and the field to soup. The Argos won the game in the contest that looked more like a pig wrestling contest than a football game. 13 nothing. Uh, all the players... Uh, you know, were gray and black with their jerseys, dirty jerseys in the mud bowl. Uh, Toronto also better the Bombers in 1945, 46, and 47, as well as 1937 and 1938. Winnipeg has the most appearances in the Grey Cup with 26. Toronto's won the most championships with 17. Toronto's Grey Cup record, a league best 17 and 6. The Bombers own a 12 and 14 record in the big game. Uh, Argos have won the last six Grey Cup championships they've played, most recently beating Bo Levi, Mitchell, and Calgary in 2017. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, of course, owners of the last two Grey Cup championships. It's Andrew Harris, who's back from the torn pec muscle. Had a pretty good game yesterday, forming that two-headed tandem in the backfield with uh, A.J. Ouellette. And he, Andrew Harris, Harris going after his third straight championship. And he will play against um, his old Winnipeg Blue Bomber teammates going after their third straight championship. Ja'Garrett Davis, another guy we'll talk to this week. He is playing in his sixth straight Grey Cup championship. So lots to talk about for the week that is uh, coming up. We do have some texts for you here, and we got this one. Um, from Burt. I honestly didn't think Huffnagel or Dickinson would ever trade the rights for Bowley by Mitchell to a Western team. Ballsy, were you shocked by Mitchell being shipped to the Tabbies? Bowley by to Hamilton means they're stacking up for next year's home Grey Cup in the Steel City. Who's next on the riders list? Hold the phone, hold the phone, hold the phone. Dave Naylor has got the inside sources around the league, although he says he doesn't have a source on this. But he did say in Twitter, the last time this has happened and rights were traded for a quarterback, uh, Michael Riley, uh, the other one was Nick Arbuckle, and I forget the third one he said, but there were three quarterbacks that were traded, and all three, oh, James Franklin, and all three did sign with the team they were traded to, their rights were traded to. And he said it's basically a foregone conclusion. Bo Levi Mitchell will be a Hamilton Tiger Cat. Eh, that is not going to happen before free agency. I can tell you right now, if I am wrong, I will go right on these airwaves on Twitter, wherever. Because I said on Twitter it's not happening. Bo Levi Mitchell, the Hall of Fame quarterback who showed he still has gas left in the tank and is going for his last contract in the CFL because I think he only wants to play probably about three more years till he's 35, 36. Bo Levi Mitchell is going to get the most money he can. He will go to free agency. Trust me on this. Okay? It's all I can tell you is trust me. Bo Levi Mitchell is going to go to free agency. And yes, there's no way John Huffnagel was trading Bo Levi Mitchell to Saskatchewan. I got a lot of calls from fans. Why didn't our inept front office, oh day, what an idiot, he doesn't know what he's doing. Listen, John Huffnagel probably wanted too much from the riders on one scenario, but the other scenario is this. John Huffnagel is not trading Bo Levi Mitchell to Saskatchewan. That way he could say, I never traded him to a West opponent. All right? <laughs> so, he trades him to Hamilton, and then maybe Hamilton, realizing they can't get a deal done with Bo, 
maybe they ship him to Saskatchewan or wherever else if he they can't get a deal done with him. Okay, happened with Charleston Hughes. Hughes went from Calgary to Hamilton to Saskatchewan. Was great here, then went to Toronto, realized he made a mistake, came back to Saskatchewan where he says he's not done, but, I mean, he was pretty good when he was on the field this year. But Bo Levi Mitchell is not washed up. Of course, you'll have to do your due diligence on his shoulder. He's not washed up. He proved he's got gas left in the tank. He is a huge Saskatchewan-sized chip on his shoulder, and he wants to kick the Stampeders' ass as many times as he can. Well, he can't do that out east. He can only do that out west. I see four teams in the running for Bo Levi-Mitchell. Hamilton, obviously. Toronto will be very much in play if they don't win the Grey Cup because Dinwiddie, the coach, and Bo Levi-Mitchell have a history. And I'm hearing regardless because... Arash Madani, who joins us before the end of the show, told us there's a scenario where McLeod Bethel-Thompson is done anyway after this year because his wife has a big-time job in Atlanta. So here in Toronto, still kind of very interested in Bo Levi-Mitchell. The other one that would be in, you'd have to think, like Edmonton might kick the tires. They did give some money to Cornelius. But Vancouver, if Nathan Rourke leaves and goes to the NFL, which I still don't think is a slam dunk, Vancouver's got to be in. BC's got to be in because they've got the ball rolling now. They need somebody that's going to keep the energy going. It ain't going to be Vernon Adams Jr., with all due respect. It's going to be Bo Levi-Mitchell. The same reason the Rough Riders need to get Bo Levi-Mitchell in here. And Bo knows that. So he's not going to sign in Hamilton without peeking over the fence to see what's in Saskatchewan or some of these places. Come on. Dave Nagler says it's a done deal. He's going to stay in Hamilton, or basically a done deal. I'm telling you right now, it's not a done deal. And there's a better than 50% chance, in my opinion, that Bo Levi-Mitchell will be in Saskatchewan. But here's the thing. I do know Bo Levi-Mitchell likes the quarterback, the uh, the uh, coaching situation and the setup in Hamilton. He really likes that. And if he was to come to Saskatchewan, he would probably like to have a say or like to know who his offensive coordinator is. Okay? So, and Bo's going to be here on Wednesday covering the Grey Cup. And Dave Naylor's going to be on the same panel as Bo. So I think they're probably going to ask Bo the question. And Dave said, well, I'll be shocked if Bo, if it goes any other way. Well, be prepared to be shocked, Dave, because I bet you Bo tells you right there because Bo just says what he wants to say. I bet you Bo says, nope, I am uh, going to free agency. So don't panic, Rider Nation. We're not on to the next guy. Unless you don't want Bo here, then maybe you want us on to the next guy. Let's play that game. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Bo, I, if I had money on it, I'd say Bo Levi Mitchell is the quarterback of your Saskatchewan Rough Riders next year. But let's go on the presumption that Hamilton traded for him and they're going to get it. That Dave Naylor's right and Michael Ball's wrong. Okay? Who's next on your list for the quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? I do not see... Now listen, Jimmy Garoppolo did come back to the San Francisco 49ers when he said goodbye to the 49ers, when they didn't give him a playbook to start training camp, and now he's the quarterback of the Niners, and they're 5-4. and four. So anything is possible, but I do not see a scenario where Cody Fajardo is back here next year. Just the way it ended here, I can't see Fajardo back here. But maybe you think he's going to be here. The Riders' next best scenario for you as a Rider fan, who's the quarterback of the Riders, if it's not Bo Levi-Mitchell. And then I saw this. Somebody uh, somebody 
told me about this because I don't follow this dude, but one longtime CFL announcer tweeted last week, so I'm told, that he's tired of the BLM talk. That's enough of this BLM talk. This is the same dude that for years said the CFL needs to have talk year-round, that that's what makes the NFL and the NHL great, the MLB, is they talk about it all year long. But then when we talk about it, you're tired of it. Maybe it's because said announcer doesn't get along with Bo Levi Mitchell. Maybe that's why. I don't know. I'm not stopping talking about it. it this, is our, this is our Grey Cup this year. It Honestly, I'm serious about this. I don't know... I don't know who else you'd get besides Bo Levi Mitchell. It's going to sell tickets, give people confidence. If his shoulder is healthy, and I am to believe, be believed that his shoulder is healthy, okay? Anyway, 936-6262, the number to text. When we come back, our clutch performance, and we're going to hear from the professor, Don Hewitt. This is the Sports Cage for Andrew Shared Limited on 620. Grant, far side of the field, looking for a little bit. Yeah, Janarian Grant, who uh, edged out our own Mario Alford for the Western Team All-Star for Special Teams Player, even though Alford is the guy who's the Western nominee for Special Teams Player of the Year. Weird, but that's the CFL. But he showed up big time after muffing a punt. He returns that kick 98 yards for a touchdown, a real backbreaker for the BC Lions as he had the Lions number all season long. That's our clutch performance brought to you by Nick Service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer calls 781-1077. Let's head out on the Western Pizza Hotline. Talk to our friend, the Professor Don Hewitt. Huey! We're in agreement. We don't like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We hate it. So for the football aspect, it sucks for sure. They get our they get our locker room and probably will be celebrating in our locker room, although I'm hoping Toronto can win. Uh, but I will tell you this. For our economy, it was great Winnipeg won. Yeah. No, I mean, I think the Winnipeg Blue Bombers victory in the Western Final probably put about half a million dollars into Rough Rider, Coffers, Ballsy which will help Jeremy O'Day sign football players. So this is going to backfire on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Their fans are going to feed future success for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. But I'm not uh, sad at all uh, about the Bo situation, signing with Hamilton, as I know you're not, because in my view, uh, Jeremy O'Day did not give up a top, blue-chip Canadian offensive lineman in the CFL draft. Uh, I said yesterday when, when we did the pregame show for the Western Final on 620CKRM that I didn't think the Rough Riders should give up draft picks uh, to get the rights to bowl because they've got the third pick in the CFL draft and they're going to get an outstanding offensive lineman ballsy, and that's what they need. I mean, all you have to do is take a look at the Western Final yesterday. There's a slick Glaze on that ball. Yeah. Uh, neither quarterback could get a grip on it. Uh, I mean, Claros was lucky he didn't get picked off three times. Rourke was nowhere near himself, not because of problems with Rourke, but because he couldn't get a grip on the ball. So what happens? It comes down to the offensive line. Winnipeg could run the ball. BC couldn't. That's what decided the game. Well, 
Jeremy O'Day again. He did not give up the third pick in the CFL draft to get uh, Bo because you know Hamilton's giving up their first pick of the signed Bo, and I'm glad they got that offensive lineman. Well, so here, let's get into that now. I'm glad you brought that up before we tee up this great cup. So l- listen, um, you and I were here on draft night. We did a draft night show. We'll do it again this year. It was, uh, you know, people really liked the fact we did that. We uh, covered the first. Right. Cu- we've covered the first couple of rounds. Listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. He erred on that draft night, not taking nothing against Sam Emelis, but Noah Zur should have been the pick. Noah Zur from York and the Saskatchewan kids should have been the pick because it's a it's a lean draft in the offensive line this year. So uh, so that was a mistake. I agree with you uh, dealing off picks, but Huffnagel, unless it was something of the uh, extraordinary, there's no way John Huffnagel was trading Bo Levi Mitchell to. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders. There's no way it wasn't. Absolutely it, it wasn't. It wasn't happening. In fact, I nope. I I have heard my sources have told me Bo Levi Mitchell was pushing for his release early from the Calgary Stampeders, and then he was informed of this trade to Hamilton. So this is this is something that you know. Let's not get too excited about this. There's still, but what Jeremy O'Day has to do now, Don Hewitt, he has to do something that he failed to do after 2019. He has let this O line deteriorate to epic proportions. They need to fix this in a hurry. Show Bo Levi Mitchell you're going to fix it. Now, there's no way to do that till free agency starts, really. There might be a couple of ways to tinker, but you're going to do that, and then you're going to give him a fair contract, and you're going to let him have a hand in maybe picking your OC or guessing on what OC he would like because that's going to be a big deal for Bo Levi Mitchell. Well, two things. There's one thing that John Hopnagel has never done, not once to my knowledge, as the general manager of the Calgary Stampeders, and that is trade away uh, draft pick. He's never done it. All he does is get extra draft picks, just like the legendary Sam Pollock of the Montreal Canadiens. Same thing, just kept stacking and stacking. And that's one of the primary reasons why Calgary, you know, has had that great run in the playoffs. In fact, I think it's 14. 14 straight years uh, with a record above 500. It's 17 straight that Calgary's been in the playoffs. And I go to the draft for one of the main reasons for it. Plus, they developed their own quarterbacks. We can get into that later uh, because I don't think it's the absolute end of the world necessarily if Bo ends up signing in Hamilton. Anyway, we can talk about that later, but I digress for now. But no, you're right. He's never, it's his biggest nightmare. Bo comes into McMahon as a rough rider with half the fans in the stands, rough rider fans cheering him on and they defeat Calgary. That Hoffnagel is never going to do that in a million years. But I mean, uh, at this point, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens, whether Bo does sign, whether, you know, you're going to be right. You've got your sources. I believe your sources or whether, Hamilton will eventually persuade him. We'll see. But if they don't persuade him, I think the priority is to get the offensive line fixed. That is number one. Right. Absolutely. And I, I believe that's number one, but hot on the heels is it has to be an offensive coordinator he likes. It has to be somebody that he's going to like. And uh, that's going to be right. very interesting. And here, here's the thing. Why Bo Levi Mitchell makes sense, too. It's pretty easy other than the fact he's a Hall of Famer with a chip on his shoulder and he showed he still has gas left in the tank. Our regime needs to win right now. 
We can't. Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson, their feet are on the fire. They have to win right now. Who gives you the best chance to win right now? I know Jeremy O'Day said, hey, we're not, we don't want to go with the mentality for this year's Grey Cup being all in. We want to build sustained success. Guess what? They have just called an audible now, in my opinion. Right, Don? They got to win now. Well, they do. I mean, I mean, the president of the Rough Riders, Craig Reynolds, said it plain as day, right to yourself, that uh, what he expects and has to see in order to give uh, Jeremy O'Day and uh, head coach Craig Dickinson a, a shot at uh, 2024. It's like 2023 or bust for them, and it would take a lot of guts for them if they ended up sticking with the quarterbacks that they wanted to develop. But I'm going to play devil's advocate here just for fun, something yep. different on the show. And talk about, okay, what happens if Bo does sign then in Hamilton? You don't think he will. That's what your sources are saying. But let's just play a game here and have some fun with it. I mean, when you think about it, uh, 2021, Bo, shoulder bothering him, 10 touchdown passes, 13 interceptions. That's one thing. Uh, Dave Dickinson, how many times have he made mistakes on a quarterback? Pretty much none. Mayor obviously... Lack of experience in that Western semifinal, but he'll be better next year. The two drives that Bo had in the West Semi were gimmies. The first drive was all blitzes by BC. Calgary, with a great offensive line, picked them all up. It was fish in the barrel to find the receivers on all those blitzes. And then they went into a pre-bent defense the second drive. Again, it was fish in a barrel. And then I go back to two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Kent Austin and Darian Durant. Both developed and brought up by Saskatchewan, both winning great cups. So all I'm trying to say is this. I don't think it's absolute doomsday if they don't get Bo, but then who do they get? They've got to get somebody that can pull a trigger, but it's all going to have to be a quarterback behind a good offensive line. Uh, but, but wait, 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 wait. I'll give you the prevent on the, the second last drive, but Don, you watched the <laughs> yeah. same game I watched. The two passes he made in that first drive were on the money between two defenders. Not too many guys yep. could, and he came in with confidence. I agree with that. Listen, I don't, yep. I'm not saying that Bo won't sign in Hamilton. I'm saying he won't sign in Hamilton before free agency. Like Dave Naylor, and that's who I'm, you know, been going back and forth on Twitter on. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I don't respect him, but he said, no, it's a done deal. I, I'd be shocked if he does, if it's not a done deal in Hamilton. I'm telling you right now, it's not a done deal in Hamilton. It's not a done deal. There's still it, he, and he'd be foolish to sign in Hamilton right now. Absolutely foolish. There, there are probably four teams Riders, Hamilton, Toronto depending on how the Grey Cup goes and I'm still hearing that McLeod Bethel Thompson could be done regardless because his wife has a great job in Atlanta and the fourth one is BC. There's a wild card. If Nathan Rourke leaves, you yep. don't think Amar Dole Bowman's going to want to get on the Bo Levi Mitchell train? Here's another reason that I think Bo wants to play in Saskatchewan. Uh, take a look at the, the television ratings for the semifinals a uh, week ago. Down 27% because the Saskatchewan Rough Riders weren't in one of the games. And what team draws more attention in the league than Saskatchewan? Nobody. No, you're 100%. They are the marquee team for yep. attention, and all you have to do is check out Three Down Nation. Three quarters of Three Down Nation is about the Rough Riders, and it's supposed to be about the entire league. Right. So, so that's where they get the hits. That's where they get the hits. Now, can you answer me this? Does Bo Levi Mitchell like attention? Yes or no? Yes. That, this is the place you come to if you want attention. 
Well, right, because he's been in a hockey market where he's behind Kachuk, Goudreau, Kadri, uh, whoever, and he's a Hall of Famer. He wants somebody to rub his back and treat him like he is a superstar, and this is the place to do it. You don't think... I've, I've been on the dinner circuit. He could be every weekend in small town Saskatchewan making twenty five hundred to five grand a pop. He could get a car deal from Capital. He could be the face of anything he wanted. He knows that there's the football side and there's this side, and it's kind of got that Katy Texas small town feel to it. Don't tell me that isn't an inside track, but things got to line up. You can't complete touchdowns and win when you're lying on your back looking at the ceiling, uh, which the Ryder quarterbacks did, and you can't. Uh, do it if you don't have a maybe an OC you want. Don, thanks for your time. Quickly before we go, is there any way the Winnipeg Blue Bombers lose this Grey Cup? Well, I mean, the last time, it's hard to believe, Ballsy, the last time I believe these two teams played in the Grey Cup was 1950 in the Mud Bowl, yep. I believe. Yep. So if it becomes another Mud Bowl on the artificial turf, maybe Toronto's got a shot. But I mean, the big thing is going to be Claris's health. Now, yeah, no, I don't know what you said in the show earlier because I was doing some other things. I should have been listening. Yes. Uh, but uh, you were saying, I know you, uh, via text, that right now Claros is having a hard time walking around normally. That's going to be a huge storyline, and you'll be right on top of it. Yeah, we, we will be on top of it so for sure. That'll we, be the big deal. And we yeah, might check I'm in with Don. Winnipeg, we might check in with Don Hewitt uh, later in the week, too. In fact, I've got to ask him if he wants to host one of the shows. I'll ask you formally uh, off the air because we got a big, busy week going on here. But, Don, thanks for your time, man. We'll talk soon. You bet, Ballsy. Bye-bye. Take care. When we come back on the other side on the Western Pizza Hotline, we're going to hear from Glenn Suter and press coverage. More of your text, 936-6262. How are you feeling about uh, the Grey Cup matchup, about the Ryder quarterback situation now that Bo Levi-Mitchell, his rights anyway, belong to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. This is the sports cage for Andrew Shared Limited on 620. way. All right, welcome back to the Sports Cage for Andrew Shared Limited. Downtown Regina, the kickoff to Grey Cup Week. We are excited. We'll get to Glenn Suter in a second. Our text line brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln at 936-6262. Richard said, you're dreaming, ballsy. Zero percent chance Bo Levi Mitchell comes to the Riders. It'll be Fajardo or Vernon Adams, whoever's the cheapest. Fajardo ain't coming back here. Not with Coach Dickinson and the regime intact. I think that's a divorce, in my opinion. Vernon Adams, he's not exactly cheap, but I don't... I don't think he'll be here, and I don't think it's 0% chance. Richard, I think it's closer to probably, it's at least 50-50 minimum that he's in Saskatchewan. That's my opinion. Gary in Regina. Mitchell doesn't want to spend his last days on his back getting sacked. Let's get Mason Nias signed up and develop him. Well, that's right. Let's get Nias in here. I totally agree. He's off to the UTech Bowl. Congratulations to the U of S Huskies. We'll hear from Riker Frank before the top of the hour, running back from Regina who plays for the Huskies and had almost 140 all-purpose yards that Hardy Cup championship, but Nias isn't going to be the savior this year or the guy that's going to put us over the top this year and back into the playoffs. Let's get to this now. Every time Saskatchewan gets in second or long, they've been bringing Glenn Suter up on the outside. Sometimes they blitz him, sometimes they don't. But when he's blitzed, he's had success. And it's picked up by Suter. He runs it out of Time for press coverage as former Ryder Greats and veteran CFL football broadcaster Glenn Suter shares his unique and passionate perspective about the league we love with Ryder Nation. It's funny. People get excited, Glenn. I got my phone was blowing up. Oh, Ballsy, you were wrong. See, Bo's not coming here. He's a tiger cat. See, I knew he'd never come here. Well, the rights to somebody 
or the actual uh, big contract for somebody is, are two different things. Uh, but kudos to the Hamilton Tiger Cats for making the trade, Glenn. Uh, but it wasn't a shocker. There's no way Huffnagel is trading uh, Bo Levi Mitchell to Saskatchewan. This is like a Charleston Hughes thing, in my opinion, where he goes comes to Saskatchewan via Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's definitely a possibility that that will still happen, and this doesn't guarantee anything with Bo. In fact, if you saw him on our pregame show before the the East and West Finals, he basically said he wants to be patient. He's going to listen to a lot of teams once free agency hits. He's not going to be public about you know what those offers look like and things like that, which is the right thing to do. And uh, he's going to see what's out there. Uh, so. I do applaud Hamilton for doing this. I, I think it's a smart idea. They've now got basically, what, three months to to negotiate a deal and to show Bo Levi Mitchell that Hamilton would be a great landing spot for him. And they've got that exclusive right to do that now. It costs them, what, a draft pick and a swap of the first rounders, it looks like. But, I, you know, I think it's worth it to have that couple of months to – to be the only team that he's talking to, basically. And then, uh, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think that guarantees it by any means that he's going to just sign in Hamilton. Um, he, it sounds like he's going to wait. Yeah, absolutely. And and why wouldn't he wait? He's a Hall of Famer with still some gas left in the tank, and this will be his last contract. So he wants to hit a home run, a home run CFL style. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look at some of the older quarterbacks in the league, I mean, you know, Trevor Harris threw for 362 yards in a losing effort in the Eastern Final. I mean, um, y- you still, Ricky Ray went to Toronto in the late stages of his career in, in Grey Cup 100 and, and won them a championship, led that team to a championship. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you on, on Bo with a lot of gas left in the tank and, and a chip on his shoulder. And, you know, for Saskatchewan fans, I'll also say this. I believe. There's going to be, and he hasn't told me this, so this isn't inside information. I'm just speculating, but I believe, and if it were me, I'd want to be in the West. I would absolutely oh, yeah. want to be in the West, and I'd want to play the Calgary Stampeders as many times in the regular season as I can play if I'm bullied by Mitchell. Well, right, and we've talked about this. I just had Don Hewitt on. You and I have talked about this. He wants to be where it matters. It doesn't, listen, it matters in Hamilton, but you're not a superstar, per se. Toronto, you're not. Vancouver, you're not. Those are hockey towns. Hamilton isn't. So I think it really would come down to Hamilton or Saskatchewan. He want listen, at this stage of his career, he wants to be pampered a little bit, I bet. He wants to have his back rubbed, uh, told that he has a big say in the organization, wherever it is, get some of those off the perks that he maybe didn't get in Calgary. There's only two centers where he'd get that. Hamilton, Saskatchewan. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, and I don't, I, I don't know if it, that was just, it sounded funny when you said it that way that, you know, have his back rubbed and stuff. I, you know, I, I think he wants to prove a point. I mean, he has always had an edge to him. I'm looking forward to working with him again this year for our Grey Cup coverage in Saskatchewan. I, I get in tomorrow and get a chance to, uh, you know, sit down in meetings with him and pick his brain about the season and all the defenses he's faced and the Bombers and the Argos. So um, looking forward to that. But I've always felt that he has an edge to him. He has a chip on his shoulder. He always has. He's always played with that, you know, that great level of confidence bordering on arrogance. Uh, I, I think, you know, I don't know if he needs to be coddled, but I do think, 
he wants to get a crack at taking down the Calgary Stampeders uh, because of the way it ended there. And, and, you know, he did all the right things. He was a pro. So was Jake Mayer. And I think Dave Dickinson handled it properly. But he still was basically told at the halfway point, we're done with you. We're moving on to this new, the, the new kid. And uh, thank you so much for your, for your service and all the championships. But you're going to have to sit on the bench for this. And I guarantee you that while he said the right things, that would have been eating him up big time. So yeah. he wants to get back at it. So we got uh, three uh, three minutes before uh, we're done here, Glenn, because we got a, a busy show, and we'll talk to you throughout the week because you'll be here, and it'll be great to uh, break bread yeah. with you. Okay, so quickly, uh, Zach Kalaros, is that a huge injury for this game, like, or 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 do you think he'll be okay? He's playing it off. He's saying it's nothing. Um, everything after the game was, I'm fine. It's okay. He didn't want to talk about it. Uh, I understand that. It'll be very, very hush-hush, private. We probably won't hear anything until game day. Um, I, When I looked at the injury and we looked at it after the game in super slow motion, I, I think it's, it's real. You know, I, I don't know how serious. I'm not a doctor. I won't pretend to be. But it's, I think it's real. I don't, you know, I don't think there was any, um, you know, showboating or game, you know, games that were being played there when he kind of tried to run out in the field and couldn't. I don't think that was a, a game they were trying to play. I think he, he tried to go back out and he, and he went, whoa, yeah, it's not good. And he went back off the field. So I, I, I that'll, if, if anyone gets that scoop as to how bad this is, That'll be a good one for Great Cup week, but uh, I think it's a real injury. I lo- it looked like it on the uh, on the replay. Yeah, ninety seconds, uh, Glenn. Uh, Kid Canada, as you called him, Nathan Rourke looked a little overwhelmed at times in that game. You know, the crowd. That that's why you fight for home field advantage. And I and I know the Ryder fans are fantastic, but boy, those Bomber fans. That was as loud as I've ever heard it all season long in any park. And it affected him. It affected their offense. It affected their level of communication. I don't think he was, you know, deer in the headlights, kind of overwhelmed, especially in that final 25 seconds he lost, you know, down by one possession and had a chance to make a miraculous comeback and tie the game. And they lost 23 seconds, like two or three plays there because they couldn't hear each other. Mm. They couldn't get a play called. And that's why you battle for home field advantage, and that's why the crowd and home field advantage matters in football because you have to communicate and it makes it hard for the offense. And But listen, unbelievable season, Ballsy, as you know, for Nathan Rourke. Just a pleasure to cover him. I, I, I hope he'll be back in the league, and if he's not, then we, he will be a great ambassador down the road for, for Canada. But I'm, I'm hoping he'll be back with the BC Lions next year, and that'll be another scoop maybe for Great Cup Week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got a lot to talk about this week. It's going to be great. Talk to you soon, Glenn. Take care. Okay, thanks, Michael. We'll have Glenn Suter live uh, throughout the week here. Great Cup Week is just getting started here in the Queen City. We'll be back with more in a moment on 620. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Sports ticker brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. 781-2090. NFL tonight, Commanders at the Eagles. NHL, Kings visit the Flames. Kings have won four straight Flames. Snap the seven-game slide on the weekend with a win over the Jets. Islanders at the Sens. Hurricanes, the Blackhawks, Blues. 
at the Abs. And a banged-up Raptors team is in Detroit to take on the Pistons. All right. Um, it's time to do this. And we're headed out in the Western Pizza Hotline talking about the Hardy Cup, the U of S Huskies. Why would you be talking about the U of S Huskies, Ballsy, on a radio station that broadcasts the Regina Ram games? Well, we have some Regina guys on the team, including this guy, Frank the Tank, Riker Frank, running back for the U of S Huskies. You're getting used to this winning thing. Two Hardy Cups in a row for you, two championships. How was this one maybe different than last year's? Uh, I mean, this year I definitely got to play a bigger role in in on the team for sure, and and in this win a little bit too. I'd say. Were your uh, did you have a lot of nerves? Because like you said, you did return some kicks last year, but uh, you were the main tailback in this ball game. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously a bigger role, but so no, I, I wouldn't say I was I was too nervous going in because we had a we had a good game plan, so we had the, the most confidence that we were going to come out on top this time. Have you always had good hands out of the backfield, Riker, or is that something you've developed? Because you had over 130 yards of uh, total uh, offensive yardage in the game. Yeah, definitely something I had to work on. Uh, uh, back, back in Peewee, I wasn't the best catcher, but uh, I've been working hard on, on that. So, so yeah. How did, you, how did you work on catching the ball? I know when I was a receiver, or my son coming up as a receiver, I made him throw tennis balls against the side of the house, just taught him how to catch with tennis balls. How did you teach yourself to be a better receiver? <laughs> yeah, yeah, tennis balls is one way, but uh, I find just, just repetitions, you know, I'd have one of my quarterback friends just come in and whip a ball at my chest and, and I just catch it over and over again. And, and that's what really helped me, I'd say. Tell me about that game. It, uh, you know, you ended up winning by 15 points, 23 to eight, but it was pretty tight there for a while. Yeah. I mean, I think throughout the season, you, you can see we're always a, a second half team, which is, which, which isn't, isn't the worst thing, but it's something that we got to work on is, is starting the game stronger. You know, um, obviously a couple big plays by, uh, by Jordan Rusnick getting his first touchdown in the Hardy Cup, pretty big, and then uh, Finn coming up with that big pick six was was pretty awesome as well. Yeah, for sure. All right, the Riker Frank joining us here, former Lebolas Golden Sun engineering student. Frank the Tank is his nickname, and you can see why if you watch him. Uh, what do you know about Saint FX going out there for the big UTEC Bowl? Well, well, for one, uh, I'm sure the the weather will be a, a lot nicer out there. <laughs> Uh, which is nice, but yeah, they're they're obviously a good good team. They they earned their spot in this game just like we did. Uh, I know their running backs having a, a very good season, so so it'll be good to see what they got what they got cooking up there. Yeah, no kidding. You made a good point. I was going to bring that up. It's probably going to be like you're uh, playing in Miami or something like that. The weather difference. <laughs> Yeah, it's still going to be a little cold, but it should be a lot better than here, that's for sure. Oh, come on. You guys got to be talking about that in the dressing room, right? Like, it, that's not, I don't give a crap. That's not football whether you played it on Saturday. <laughs> no, we were we were all bundled up, and we had uh, hot cocoa in our, our change room at halftime, too. What, what's the worst, uh, frozen feet or frozen hands as a running back? I know they're equally difficult to, to, to operate around, but what, what's worse for you? Oh, for me, it's definitely the hands. I, I hate the feeling of of they're moving in slow motion when they get too cold, and it it just you just gotta think about catching the ball, and, and that's when you get into trouble. You start thinking about it. So, hands is definitely the worst. Do you wear gloves when it's cold? Because sometimes when you wear gloves and it's cold, it can make the ball even slipperier. 
Oh no, I'm a glove guy. And then you know, there's that old trick where you wear the the latex gloves underneath too. I, I had some of those on as well. Oh wow! Did you have uh, some of the guys? I know the the wimpy quarterbacks. They wear the battery powered pouches. Did you do that? The heaters. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't wear one on the field because that's just something for someone to grab onto. But uh, I know once I get on the sidelines, yeah, they got one waiting for me on the sidelines, which is which is awesome. What's been the mo- has there been a model for this team? I know a goal is to get back to the Vanier Cup and, and win it this time. Is it kind of that whole unfinished business type of thing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing that uh, that Coach Flurry has been emphasizing for us before every game is just BS. Because we know we got a lot of talents, and we got like we obviously have really good players, and we just got to be us, and that's how we're going to win games. It's just playing our game, not focusing on anyone else, and just being us. Is there a danger in traveling way out east and maybe getting caught up, or do you think last year's uh, run helped you guys out in terms of dealing with traveling and the distractions that come with it? Actually, I think I think that's one team. One thing our our team's really good at is. Uh, is overcoming the ad- adversities put before us. You know, you, you got to adapt to survive. And last week we were adapting to the weather and, and adapting to travel is just going to be the same same type of business. You know, it's got to be mentally tough and and battle through that adversity. You're a young guy. How old are you? I'm 20. Yeah, so you're 20 years old. You're probably on the Snapchat, Instagram, all that stuff. So it's harder to block out the noise than, say, an old fossil like me when I played back in the day. There wasn't any of that <laughs> stuff. So do you, like when you're, you know, let's be honest here. Everybody expects now that you won the Hardy Cup, you will be in the Vanier Cup. You should steamroll these guys. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you stop that overconfidence? Because you know that there's talk and you probably hear it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean... Uh, as a team, we're definitely taking these guys seriously. Like, like I said, they they earned their way into this this game just like we did. Uh, they're they're undefeated so far, so for sure they're a good team. And uh, we just we just gotta stay locked in this week and have a good week of practice, or else uh, we might be in for a surprise if if we slack off. So, do you think it worked to your advantage, Riker, that you had lost a, a tough one to uh, kind of uh, well, not kind of it, it wrecked your perfect season when you lost in UBC? But do you think that worked to your advantage? Kind of you went in there with a chip on your shoulder. Hey, we owe these guys one. You know, I think I think it did work to our advantage actually because you know being undefeated in sports can can almost be dangerous at uh, and, and especially going into playoffs. You know. Uh, you get a little too comfortable on top, and that's when things start to go wrong. So I think it was a little bit of a wake-up call for us and uh, a little bit of a reminder that we got to take every team seriously. Okay, folks, i got to point this out. Wins and losses are great, but it's about building our community outside of football and getting these guys into the community to be leaders. Regina's Riker Frank is in his second year as a running back with the U of S Huskies, as we talked about. He's a mechanical engineering student that is a top scholar, 90% in the classroom, which is outstanding, man. Congratulations. And you're the recipient of the Student Athlete Community Service Award for the Can West, uh, giving back to football camps and also for people with disabilities through Special Olympics uh, Unified Basketball. Uh, talk about uh, your off-field stuff in terms of the community service stuff and how important that is to you. Yeah, obviously it's it's super important. Uh, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be in, in Saskatchewan where, where football is such a big thing, especially in the youth. And uh, our, our team, the Huskies, are definitely a big part of that. I mean, we, we volunteer at, at football SAS camps, and we also have our own Husky football camp. Uh, both of which uh, I've I've been a part of uh, and helping out in the youth, and 
I think it's just super important because, I mean, I've played football for a while and I know that, uh, that the coaches can have such a big impact on on these players. So I'm just trying to, to replicate that and hoping I can make a change in some young football players' career. Where did that community-minded uh, spirit or mentality come from, Riker? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've just been around people that, that have always given back, and especially to me, like I, I've just seen it firsthand how much of an impact it can make. So so for sure, it's made, it made a big impact on my life, and I just want to impact other people the same way. I get it. I guess where I was going with that, Riker, is like, can you give us a name? Who did you look up to? Who did you, like, you know, there's a, there's a you know, times in your life where you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's inspiring, or that woman's inspiring. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I could give you a, a specific name, unfortunately, but, like, I mean, I've had so many coaches over the years and, and just so many people that have graciously given me their, their time that I'm just so grateful for. But there's way way too many to to boil it down to a name. Okay. Well, Riker, best of luck, man. Can't wait to watch you in the Hardy or in the uh, UTech Bowl. Pardon me. Congratulations on the Hardy Cup championship. And uh, yeah, we're rooting we're rooting you on here on the sports cage. Okay. Awesome. Thank. This is the Craig Dickinson Show, our weekly chat with the writers bench boss about the latest news from the locker room. It's the only place where Dickie takes questions from Rider Nation. And Craig Dickinson joins us every Monday throughout the calendar year. It's brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers. McDougalAuctions.com. Coach, what's your first memory of the Grey Cup, of a Grey Cup? Is there one that pops into your mind? The first memory I have, Michael, of a Grey Cup is I was in Minnesota working working a job out there and my brother was playing it was Calgary versus I believe Hamilton in 1998 and I remember they kicked a field goal with zeros on the clock and I was screaming at the TV telling them to snap the ball that's going to hit zero and it hit zero and they still had time on their play clock so uh, that was my first memory of the CFL and of the Grey Cup and of how the the timing works. Yeah, and of course, uh, Calgary would lose that Grey Cup, but then go on to beat the Tiger Cats the next year in the 1999 Grey Cup. What do you like about the Grey Cup? Just the event and everything like that. It really has, like, for instance, what I like about it, it's really Canadiana. Like, we are going on Wednesday. The thing starts at 11.30, pure later in, uh, it's the pure later Grey Cup parade. It starts in Saskatoon. They have a pancake breakfast out there. We're going to start at 11.30. We're going to stop at a few towns. Davidson, Chamber, Berlin, Lumsden before it comes in here, and then Colin James does a big, uh, the the local uh, well-known Canadian Juno musician does the free uh, tailgate party to kick things off. But you wouldn't see that with the Lombardi Trophy or anything like that. No, the Great Cup to me, Michael, is just a celebration of football in Canada. So it just it just feels that's why it's so nice to be a part of it, even if you're not in the game. Yeah. Um, you'd prefer to be in the game, of course, but it's just a celebration of football. And it's a way for everybody to get together and celebrate what they love about Canada, which one of those things is, is Canadian football. So it's just really a, a neat, you know, all-encompassing, um, you know, kind of a camaraderie, it seems to seems to be with everybody there. So yeah. it's really a neat, neat event. Yeah, so I know you've talked about this before, but reiterate it. I mean, listen, we're not cheering for the Bombers around here. We're not big Bomber fans, but you do got to tip your football helmet, so to speak, to them in the culture that they've built there uh, from when, uh, you know, Kyle Walter got there uh, with um, with Mike O'Shea and then Wade Miller, and they've really built uh, a nice culture there. 
yeah, they've done a good job. And, you know, all three came in at the same time. Although I will say, I think Wade took over uh, halfway through the the year. Mm-hmm. Kyle and Wade were there first, I think, and then they hired Mike the, the following year. But, yeah, they've done a great job over there. And it just seems like they're in lockstep from, from top all the way down in terms of what they're doing. And you got to tip your hat to them. They're, they're the the class of the league right now and probably favored to win this next one as well. The, the thing about them is uh, this is where your team struggled this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. They win the three-minute game. They they win most of their games in the last three minutes. We've talked about this being a 57, then a three-minute league. And your team was good for a lot of 57-minute games, but not great in the three-minute games. And that's really the difference between it's such a fine line between winning and losing. Yeah, it is. They they seem to manage the game really well, and they got a quarterback. I think you got to give a lot of credit to to the quarterback as well. He's been there and done that, and that experience really means a lot. I, I know when I was um, in Edmonton when we had Mike Riley, he he made us right a lot of the times, and I I I felt like Cody did a good job for us too as well. I mean we we had to come back in a lot of games this year, and we just weren't able to do it, but. I think of previous years. I don't, you know, don't want to lay it on Cody because he he does a good job of managing the clock at the end of the half and at the end of the game. We just we just were um, this year. We we're just too far behind in a lot of those games to come back. You know, I know you can't talk about other players. There's a lot of talk about Bo Levi Mitchell, and people are like, "Oh, he's going to Hamilton." Now, I don't want to go there, but where I do want to go is because some of the fans have said, "You know, what about Cody Fajardo uh, coming back here?" Um, What's your thoughts as the head coach on a potential, uh, you know, Cody coming back here again? Because he is, you know, you can talk about him. He's still under contract with yeah. your, with your yeah, football would, team. Absolutely. I would not uh, discount it, you know, because there's there's going to be, there's some good quarterbacks out there that will be available. He's being one of them, you know. And so I certainly don't think you you turn the page on him. Now he's got to want to come back, but, uh, you know, we'll have some discussions. Jeremy and I will have to hire an offensive coordinator and get, his his feeling on it because I think it's important that your offensive coordinator is is in lockstep with the head coach and the GM on who is who his quarterback's going to be. But yeah, there's only so many quarterbacks out there, you know, and that have started and won games at the pro level. Cody's being one of them, so I, I think you got to look hard and, and long at Cody Fajardo, and, and maybe he's a guy you bring back. I I certainly don't don't want to discount it. I think he's done enough that. You got to consider it, you know. Yeah. So, coach, uh, coach Dickinson, were were Jason? You know, speak to it. Don't speak to it. But I'm asking it. Were were Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo? Were they? You know, sometimes the coach and the it's it's a square peg and it's a round hole. Sometimes it doesn't mesh. Or was that the case with you? Like, it was just one of those things where great coach, it just wasn't the right setup. Yeah, I think I think you can. It's fair to say. I, I think Jason's an out, outstanding football coach and a very intelligent man. Very competitive guy, but you're right. It just never seemed to to uh, to work out. The fit wasn't quite right, and I don't know if it was uh, just they didn't see the game the same way, or maybe Cody's skill set didn't translate to what Jason wanted to do as much. But uh, we tried. I mean, we can't can't argue with the fact we tried, and we tried a lot of different ways to make it work. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we just weren't good enough on offense, and a lot of that comes down to um, the quarterback play and and the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's ability to make things make things work. So no hard feelings. I, I certainly wish Jason all the best. I think he'll do a fantastic job wherever he ends up next. But for some reason, you're right, that, that quarterback offensive coordinator um, 
mesh. This didn't didn't work out as well as we'd hoped. Jeff Saturday was, uh, you know, oh, what a knock on professional coaching or on the coaching profession. He's coming down from the broadcast booth and he's going to be a coach of an NFL team with less than a week of preparation and they end up winning the football game over Josh McDaniels and the Raiders. So my question to you is this, and this isn't a knock on Frank Reich. I think he's a good coach too. But would you say well, I'll ask you, what's the number one thing for a co- head coach to have? What's the number one thing you need, the number one trait? I think you've got to be a leader of men, and I think Jeff Saturday is that. Mm-hmm. I think his his playing career, the fact that he played center, which is basically the most cerebral of all the offensive line spots, and usually the quarterback of the O-line, to be quite honest with you, the fact that he played there, played at a high level for so many years, I think his ability to relate to players on offense and defense shown through in that game. And I think that's the main thing is your head coach, especially in the NFL, Michael, because there's so many coaches. They've probably got 20-some-odd coaches on that staff. That it's not necessarily you're going to give them scheme ideas. You're basically going to try to convince the players to play hard to play within the rules, and to play for each other. And I think being an ex-player, he was able to do that. Coach, we got this from Mark and Regina, 936-6262. First off, he says, Coach Dickinson, thanks for still joining the sports cage in Ballsy, even though it's technically the rider off season. By the way, folks, he joins us all year, so thanks to him. But he said, Coach, what's the biggest area personally you need to improve on next season? Me as a coach? Yes, uh, you. You know, probably, probably setting forth expectations early and then reinforcing them often. I think I think I got a little bit away from that. I, I maybe figured the players were going to take over and it didn't happen. So I think the one area that I personally will really work hard on this next year is to come up with some core values that we see as, as the way the writers do things and then continually reinforcing them. I think um, maybe I put a little too much pressure on the guys just last year with the Grey Cup being at home. I think I got to go back a little bit, kind of revisit my 2019 self and be a little bit more concerned about core values, team above self sort of philosophy, and maybe be a little less less over the top on on uh, winning. And I think I think that's what I'll, I'll work on this offseason. Yeah, but you're in an interesting spot, Coach, because let's be honest, you you uh, you and Jeremy O'Day have one-year contracts. you got to win. In pro sports right now, Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day have to win. So is that in the back? You know, it's kind of a balancing act, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, that first year, you know, you had a little bit of wiggle room where you felt like you could maybe be put your philosophy into the team and win, lose, or draw, you have some time to build it. This next year, we, we won't have that, that time necessarily. But I do think it's important to do that because when I look back at the season, I feel like we had a good locker room. We had a good culture. But maybe maybe I was just a little bit too aggressive in pushing the Grey Cup thing, and maybe the pressure got to us a little bit. So I'll, I'll look at it. That was a good question that the gentleman asked the time before. I think there's some – some room for growth in that, and, and I think some self-reflection. I'll be a little more big picture in terms of culture and big picture in terms of our core values and, and maybe less less uh, focused on winning, and hopefully by doing that, the wins come. This comes from Dean. Dean says, interesting, Coach, that you talked uh, uh, talked about uh, Jason Moss there. The Labor Day game, you guys are driving late, and instead of running the ball twice and kicking a field goal, you throw the football. 
Would you take more ownership over maybe directing your coaching staff on what to do in a situation like that? Because I think, you know, going back to it, Coach, I think after the game when I asked you, just to kind of piggyback what Dean texted in there, you said, no, I just let Jason run his offense there. Remember that question did come up. So in a situation like that, if you could do it again or do it next year, because you do get a redo here, would you maybe step in and say, listen, no, we're going to run the ball twice and leave it to our defense here at the end? Yeah, if I could have had a do-over on that one, I definitely would have said that. That's the that's one that, as you look back, it would have been nice to call a run play. But but I didn't. Uh, but the question's legit, and it's a good observation. If, if I had it to do over again, if I could rewind the, the clock, I would get on the headset and tell him, run the ball here. Yeah. Um, I didn't do that, and, and he called a he called a pass play and, and we ended up turning it over. So, um, just the way the season, what, just the way the season went, wasn't it, Coach? That's just yeah. kind of how it went for you guys, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you hate to think of the worst case scenario, but I, I still, I still think back to that old quote: when you throw the ball, three things can happen, and two of them are bad, which includes a sack or a turnover. So, uh, I think especially late in the game, when you know you're in field goal range, you got to be a, thinking about um, maybe worst case scenario and, and calling the run play. I mean. Doesn't mean it's going to work either, but um, if I had that one to do over again, I would have instructed Jason to, to run the ball. Two, two more quick questions. This one's for me. How, listen, you do it because of obligations after the game or at halftime with TSM, but how much do you hate on-the-fly interviews like that? Like the halftime when you're trying to get to the locker room yeah. or, or after the game when I'm asking you something or you 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 know, you know stuck your foot in your mouth inadvertently after that one that brought the Nick Marshall comments after the game. Like the, It's almost like you should have a 24-hour cooling-off period. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't it? But, you know, it's part of the job. Everybody wants to hear from the coach and the players right after the game or right, right at halftime. So it is part of the, part of the job. But I do like, I do, I really don't like the halftime one because you have such a limited amount of time to get with your guys anyways that it, even a minute is, is a lot to ask. But, you know, that's, those one, hopefully the fans and you, you guys all realize that right after the game, coach is probably a little bit hot. That's probably when you want to talk to them most because you get some good stuff out of them. But, at the same time, you're right. You got to think about uh, what what the message is going to be at all times. And, and if you're a little bit hot, I think a cooling off period would be nice. If you don't have it, then you just got to maybe take a few deep breaths and and just realize that uh, whatever you say is going to be magnified. So be careful. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are wearing white here. Their road uniforms and their four and a half point favorites. But their quarterback says he's okay, but he's definitely on the limp. How much do you think Kalaros's injury is going to affect the outcome of that game on Sunday? You know, it's a tough one, but I, I think it could affect it quite a bit because if he's not uh, his mobile self where he can move and get away from the pass rush, he's not as effective. So I think that's something worth watching, his his ankle. And I think if you get a chance to get out and watch him practice, you'll get a chance to see how he's moving. But he is he's a good football player. He's tough as nails. I think he'll have that thing taped up. And I, I think you'll see Zach Caleros on the field on Sunday. Does it suck to watch that game? Like, you're going to be in town. Does it suck to not be in it, watch it, know they're in your dressing room? That must be like that. Uh, the competitor. Yeah, I, will. I, I will watch it, Michael, because I like football, but I don't think I'll be at the game. I'll probably be... At home, watching it on TV or at a friend's house, because I don't think I can stand watching a game in our stadium that we're not playing in. So I don't know if I've ever watched a game in our stadium. I take that back. I have watched the Rams play a couple yeah. of games and the Thunder. And the th- yeah, I'm not- hey, by the way, props yeah. to the Thunder for a great year. I hated to see him lose the other day, but man, you got to give Scott and 
and Murad and that whole that whole crew a lot of credit for really just an outstanding season. Yeah, absolutely. A season to remember just came up short. Uh, it's probably my fault. I, I called the Rough Riders for, for the first time this year, and it was not the greatest year. And then I got to call the Thunder's championship game, and they lost. So just blame the whole thing on me, Coach. <laughs> I don't think it's your fault. <laughs> anyway, thanks for your time, man. Take care. We'll see you on Great Cup Week. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Michael. Take care. That's Coach Craig Dickinson. He'll be in for the Great Cup festivities. Everybody in the CFL will be here. It's going to be great. When we come back, we'll hear from a three-time Great Cup champ, Paul Waldo, coaching the Huskies, too. This is the Sports Cage on 620. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. All right, welcome back to the Sports Cage. Time now to head out on the Western Pizza Hotline. By the way, the show is brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, so thanks to them for getting on board. They are providing plumbing, HVAC, and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at com. Yes, dinner time, game time, anytime, a great time to order Western pizza. That's our hotline. We find Paul Waldo there, three-time Grey Cup champ. Before we get to that, congratulations, Coach. You're going back out east. This time it's to Nova Scotia. I had Riker Frank on the show earlier. For those that don't know, Paul Waldo, Regina guy, LaBolda's golden son, I believe, too, just like Riker Frank. He is the uh, defensive backs coach for the U of S. Huskies. Going to Nova Scotia, that'll be like going to Miami, given what you've played in in Saskatoon in the last two weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing, I think it's plus plus 10, plus 15, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's sandal weather, guys, so we're, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, no kidding. Um, now, a lot of people have said, and I talked to Riker about this, oh, the Huskies won the Hardy Cup. They're in the Vanier Cup. This will be a speed bump in the parking lot. How do you keep that talk or keep that mindset away from your team or do you have to because you're on a mission to get back to that Vanier Cup you, you know the, the good thing about our um, you know our kids is they're, they're pretty mature um, you, you know you know they get it we've been, been around long enough and you know that um, the second you disrespect the game of football anybody, anybody can they don't call it any given Sunday or Saturday um, for, for no reason right this isn't basketball or baseball or hockey it's not a, it's not a seven game series where the better team grinds it out so you, you got to be you got to be great for 60 minutes, right? So um, that's kind of the the mantra and the message. You know, we want to go over there, and it's it's a challenge. You know, it's a challenge because you're playing a, a unconventional style of of play schematically, and you're just everything's different out there, right? You're not used to it, so it's it, um, you've got to stay grounded because if you don't take care of business, then it could be over before you even know it. Unbelievable that Mason Nias never lost a game starting in Saskatchewan, both Regina and Saskatoon. That's an unbelievable feat. I know I've pumped his tires for a long yeah. time. This kid better be that Crichton winner, or there should be an inquiry. Yeah, I mean, you know, you pump you pump his tires a lot, and 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 I know you have, but it's it's warranted. I mean, the kid just absolutely deserves it because he's he's playing out of his mind. He's just he's been so solid in all areas in terms of. You know, controlling the ball, not turning it over, and then making big plays, averaging 360 in the air. I mean, the, the kid just—he's he, as good as I've ever seen at that level. So he—he uh, he deserves it. Yeah. Okay. So before we get to the Grey Cup, uh, yeah. you know, let's wrap up this talk with Nice. We saw Rourke. We've seen O'Connor. Yeah. I think Mason Nice is as good, if not better, than Michael O'Connor. Uh, like, why wouldn't he? If you're the Riders, he's a free agent. It's like getting a scratch ticket. You get a scratch yeah. ticket. You pay five bucks. Maybe you scratch it and you win fifty thousand. And if you don't throw the scratch ticket out, you tried. I think the Riders bring this dude in. He's. I don't know. Mason Fine looks like he could be a competent backup quarterback. Who's to say Mason Nice couldn't be? And he has all the intangibles being the local kid. 
He really does. I mean, I think kind of what sets him apart, um, you know, from a lot of maybe other collegiate university quarterbacks is um, just his poise. Um, he's, you know, he's really confident in what he does. Like I said, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but he's got a strong arm. He makes a lot of throws that, you know, we haven't seen a lot of kids make at that, at that age in our league. So, I mean, if are you, you know, I, I've been around, I played, you know, pro football for eight years and, you know, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, you know, the backups were, you know, very good players. And then you look at, like I said, everybody behind those guys. And um, there's no reason why a kid like Mason couldn't be just as good if, if given the opportunity. So it's great cup week here. Paul, Winnipeg, yep. Toronto, Bombers in their third straight, which is unbelievable after a stretch yep. of 29 years and a drought. And the Winnipeg or the uh, Toronto Argonauts coming out here, they do have some veteran guys. But mm-hmm. um, how much does being in the situation Winnipeg is in help you in terms of the week and not being overwhelmed by the week and not trying to get in and all the festivities and such? Oh, everything. I mean, you know, I think a lot of, um, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of players who haven't been there before, you know, speaking to maybe a, a team like Toronto where um, it's different, right? You're trying to get the lay of the land. You know, you can get caught up in all the media and the award, or, you know, just, just the, the awe of it and the aura of it. And then you look at a team like Winnipeg, I mean, God, it's just it's it's another week of football for him, and you know I, I kind of feel like I can relate to them. You know, I, I, we went to I went to three straight Grey Cups in my first three years, so it just got to a point where it's just it's it's what you expected. It was the standards you did. You didn't care about anything else. You stayed in your in your hotel room and had to be out, obviously, other than you know the football related things. And then you were you were all about your business. So I think them not only being there and the novelty of all the you know all the the gimmicks and all that all that fun stuff wore and off. So they're gonna they're definitely gonna have an advantage in in that sense of it. And obviously, like I said, they're you know they're just a drive you know, a few hour drive um, for for where they're, from where they're normally at. So I think you know it's, it's going to be a pretty advantageous situation. I think for Winnipeg. But Zach Kalaros is hurt. The Argos have never yeah. Argos are great in Grey Cups. They've got a yep. they've got a better record than Winnipeg overall. They've won every uh, matchup in the Grey Cup, albeit yep. the last one they met was 1950. So I know that yep. stat goes out the window. But I, you know, Winnipeg. Listen, this isn't me, Sour Grapes, voice of the Riders. Mm-hmm. Winnipeg doesn't feel like a. It doesn't feel like a dynastic team. Like yep. they've won, but they've they're a good three minute team. Like your old coach Mark Tressman used to say. Uh, but yep. they, they, you know they they've won a lot of games with their B game. Even yesterday they won, but they didn't smoke them. It wasn't great. Yeah, they, they don't seem like the, the juggernaut per se. And I I agree with you. Um, you know, if there's a year, this this would probably be the. I think the team that would be the weakest of the the previous two that we've seen in terms of you know obviously being back to back Great Cup champions. So I agree with you. They, they didn't look you know incredible. I mean they did have a special teams touchdown, which I mean credit to them they deserved it. But those don't happen often, you know. So there there were you know a, a play here or there and the and the dynamic could have been could have been quite different. So I agree with you. Yeah. So who do you got in this game though? If you had to pick, I think that Kalaros injury could play a factor for sure. It does. I, you know what? I think I'm. I think I'm going to go with the dark horse. I think I'm going to go with the Argos. I think um, just even from what you have stated, you know the, you know, I think 17 they won with with Mark Trestman at the helm against a very, very good, you know, Calgary football team, you know, and then they went and beat Calgary, I believe, in 2012, um, which Calgary was favored again, even though it was at home. So they've they've got a little bit of an aura about them, and and I I think this might be the year where where they're able to pull it off. All right, Paul, thanks for your time. Safe travels out to Nova Scotia. Good luck in the UTEC Bowl. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me and enjoy the week. Get a hold of Paul in the real estate game. 
306-502-5355. When we come back, we'll talk NFL with our regular Monday correspondent and expert Tyrone Poole, two-time Super Bowl champ, original Carolina Panther. This is the Sports Cage for Andrew Sherrod Limited on 620. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. All right, welcome back. We had a great NFL week of action besides our CFL playoffs. And let's head out in the Western Pizza Hotline, talk to two-time Super Bowl champ, played 12 years as a starting defensive back in an NFL secondary, original Carolina Panther, and a regular contributor on the show, Tyrone Poole. Welcome to the show, Tyrone. Hey, Michael, how are you doing? And hello to all of those, my friends up north. <laughs> yeah, we got in a little... Atlanta, so y- yeah. Yeah, you, you don't have snow like us, man, getting ready for our championship game in town here, the Grey Cup. Okay, so let's go to the game of the year so far in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills and the Minnesota Vikings. It felt like a slam dunk contest. You had Stephon Diggs making catches for the Buffalo Bills against his former Viking team, and then the guy you liked earlier in the year, Justin Jefferson, who may have made the catch of the year, but also had a beautiful toe-tapping one late in the ballgame. What a display of receiving. Uh, I know, man. I'm sitting here watching that game yesterday, man, and I'm like, I was just, I was moving out of my seat. I'm like, I'm like, you know, the ball is in the end zone. Uh, uh, the defense got to make a play. Of course, I'm a defensive guy. And uh, the Bills made a stop on defense. The Vikings made a stop on defense. And, man, that was like a Super Bowl game right there. That just might have been the Super Bowl of the year, you know. Yeah. But, um, no, it was a wonderful game. I know the fans were ex- just pleased with the play yesterday. Yeah. So if you're if you're covering one of those guys, Diggs, he makes a catch like that, or the one that uh, Jefferson made where he goes up and with one hand, make perfect coverage. Like, A, how frustrating is that? And sometimes I guess you just got to tip your hat to the guy. He made a play. Uh, that, that's exactly that's the word I would use. Uh, he made a play. He made a play. Jefferson made a play. And, again, he wanted that ball more than the defensive back did. So uh, that's what it's all about. Who wants it more? I'd love to watch you in your basement or wherever you're watching it, your man cave while you're up out of your couch making the moves, probably like you're back on an NFL field. When you see, when you see a catch like that, okay, Tyrone, does it take you back to a place where you're covering like a Jerry Rice or somebody like that and they made a catch on you where you had perfect coverage and you're like, damn. Like, do you remember? Do you remember a play like that? Uh, do I? I'm like, they happen all the time, but definitely you take me back to when we were playing the Minnesota Vikings, believe it or not, uh, back in 97 might have been, but we were playing the Minnesota Vikings and Chris Carter. Mm. You know, Chris Carter, they say all he does is catch touchdowns. So. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Chris, I was draped all over Chris Carter. I'm like, he could not have better coverage. White on rice. I, I'm there. And still yet, the quarterback threw the ball, uh, Chris made a heck of a, a, a catch, held onto the ball, man, and you know I'm like, wow, what else can you do? How you do know, how do you position. how do you Tyrone not let one bad play or one play that goes against you because that's not a bad play, but how do you let one play like that not turn into five plays? Like, how do you reset right away? It's like, okay, that's done. I got to move to the next play. 
And that's just the word, the right word again that you use, Michael, reset. Every play, you have to reset. You have to reset, reset. You cannot let it bleed into the next play because if you do, then you're going to be focused on where you came from instead of where you're trying to go. So what I always tell people, you know, remember what they did to you, but don't let what they did affect you because they will come back to it again to test to see if you have fixed the bleeding, stopped the bleeding. So you just got to remember what they did. Don't let it get to you. I know it's, it's tough. Everybody wants to be perfect, but nobody's perfect. And sometimes it's just tough just being exceptional or excellent. But you just can't let it affect you mentally. It's a mindset. So uh, I think Buffalo six and three, and uh, inexplicably they're fourth in their or third in their division, and Minnesota is eight and one. So let's treat these teams like stocks. Tyrone, yeah. are you selling Buffalo Bills stock, or are you holding right now? Are you gonna? You're still confident in the Bills? No, you know when I when I when I look at uh, Minnesota, let's start with the Bills. Now. Yeah, the Bills. I think you know Josh that elbow injury. I'm like that could be something that you know could be, turn out to be an issue. Uh, so I'm kind of like maybe selling their stocks a little bit because the quarterback is the true position that actually can help elevate a team offensively. Um, but the Minnesota Vikings, I'm buying their stock. When I look at the differential of turnover, uh, they are plus eight. So that tells me that they know how to take care of the ball, just like a company. The company knows how to make money. They're in a down season, an up season, they know how to make money. And Minnesota knows how to create turnovers. So I'm going to buy the Minnesota stock. And lastly, with regards to that game, because I think it applies anywhere, do you think that's a, in terms of sports, is that a, can that be a season-defining victory for the Minnesota Vikings? Half of their wins were against backup quarterbacks, so there was still a big question mark for the Vikings. But they came back from 27-17 down, and yes, Buffalo helped them a little bit to win that game, especially with that goal line fiasco. But could that be a season-defining victory for Minnesota? Definitely. That is another character-building game. That is a game that shows the Minnesota Vikings that, you know what, we are battle-tested. And when you are battle-tested, that's where championships are won. Champions are made with consistent battle after battle, and you win, you win. After a while, you develop the confidence. You say to yourself, you know what, we've been here before, guys. We've done this, and that's how you win championships. A lot of people, including myself, are saying a broadcaster, yes, he was an offensive lineman, went to the playoffs 12 out of 14 years, but a broadcaster comes down from the booth with high school coaching experience, and he's going to win. Well, Jeff Saturday does it on a short week against Josh McDaniels. Um, It shows me that leader to me leadership is the number one trait for a head coach would you agree with that and if so why i definitely agree that there are many characteristics that a coach must have and you have to have an understanding of the game that's number one uh whether you played the game or you sat and watched the game you have to understand what's happening and then you have to understand what requires or what makes players motivated because everybody's different. Everybody's different. And I think that's where sometimes the disconnect comes from in coaching. You can't treat everybody the same. I think that's why sometimes we have these college coaches that come to the pros. They have a difficult time 
because in college they could sit and motivate these kids, okay? They recruited these kids out of high school. But when you get into the pros, you're dealing with guys who make more money than you. And probably the owner, as the late Al Davis would say, you can always find coaches, but it's hard to find great players. So Jeff Saturday, being a player, former player, he kind of understands what I just said. And sometimes you just let guys be themselves, and as long as they stay within the guidelines of the rules for the team, you let them have fun. Let them have fun. I think you get the most out of your players when you let them be themselves. Raiders are interesting, Tyrone Poole. They won a playoff. They got to the playoffs, lost in the wild card with an interim coach, Rich Basaccia, who uh, who did a great job taking over when Gruden was fired early on last year, got them to the playoffs. Like I said, they lost to the team that eventually went to the Super Bowl, the Cincinnati Bengals. They're off to a 2-7 and seven start with Josh McDaniels. And I was reading where an unnamed coach said, I think they had a veteran team who doesn't want to do it the Bill Belichick way. Nobody would know what the Bill Belichick way is uh, but you, man. You know what it's like. So what does it mean when people say the Bill Belichick way, in your opinion? What is that? Well, honestly, to be quite simple with it, Mike, oh, I think basically with, when you talk about the Bill Belichick way or the Patriots way, I think most of the people are looking at like the winning. The winning. That's what they see. Winning, winning, winning. Okay. So I just think Bill, what he's done, just like a lot of us, we look at the principles and we study the principles. And then the principles become who we are. And then when somebody sees us utilize those principles, we think, they start to think that we created those principles. And then they say, oh, I'm doing it the way Michael does it. But they don't understand that Michael studied somebody else. So these principles have been around all. I did, all Michael did, all Bill Belichick did was take those simple rules and say, okay, I know what I'm trying to do, okay? This is my experience with the rules. But when you look at it deeply, it's what I call an acronym SUT. Acronym SUT, S-U-T. You got to get your team to speak the same language. I don't know, Mark. I don't know not one business or one team that if you guys don't speak the same language, you're going to have success. Number two, you got to understand. You got to understand what are we trying to achieve here? What are we trying to achieve? And then you got to think the same way. When a situation happens, this is what Michael would do. This is what whoever I'm teammate with or what company I'm representing. So, soot, if you understand, if you, if you speak the same language, understand the same way, and think the same way, then you will win. But I think Bill, basically Bill's way, is just that he studied principles, and he just did it in the way that he wanted to experience those principles. This is Tyrone Poole, two-time Super Bowl champ, original Carolina Panther. People are loving this segment, and it's good. It's picking up steam. we got a couple of texts from some of the listeners, and i got a couple of other questions to get to, too, with Tyrone Poole here on the Sports Cage on 620. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Every Monday in the NFL season, we've started something regularly. It's Tyrone Poole, two-time Super Bowl champ, Joining us here to break down the week that was. We'll get into the Monday night game here. We got a text here, a couple of them, Tyrone. This one from Billy here in Regina. Who's the funniest teammate you ever played with, Tyrone? And he goes on to say he loves the segment here on the Sports Cage. Great NFL talk. Tyrone, uh, who's the funniest guy you've ever been around in a locker room? 
Uh, well, hello, Billy. Thank you for that question. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with it's several people, man. They all got different characters, you know, it's different characters. But I'll tell you, uh, uh, Eric Davis. Uh, Eric Davis. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, used to play the 49ers. Uh, Eric was funny. We used to play jokes on one another. And uh, he got me one time where he put talcum powder in my socks. So um, imagine, you know, he just took and dumped a lot of talcum powder into my socks. And I go to put my socks on and like, all that powder like comes up. I'm like, okay, you got me, you got me. So the next day, I put Vaseline all inside his helmet. So you didn't care to see the Vaseline. So he put the Vaseline on. Oh, man. He had the Vaseline all over his head, man. So he's like, okay, you got me. So, but yeah, I've been around a lot of funny guys. Uh, Warren Sapp. You know, Warren Sapp has a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of funny guys, and that's what keeps the locker room going. Yeah. Just that laughing. Who, uh, uh, Martin wants to know, who's the toughest guy you ever played with? Ooh, the toughest guy. Wow. Uh, Kevin Green. Uh, I think Ooh, Kevin yeah. Green, God rest his spirit. Kevin Green was tough, man. Uh, he's a tough guy. Rodney Harrison. Rodney Harrison. Mm -hmm. um he was tough. The safety uh, used to play with the Chargers and played with me um, with uh, the uh, Patriots. Now he's uh, an analyst. Um, oh, wow. Um, yeah. uh, Rodney Harrison. Teddy Bruschi. Oh, Teddy Bruschi was yeah. tough. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Teddy Bruschi. Air, um, Rodney Harrison, our coach here of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Craig Dickinson, was coaching him uh, as a special teams coach with the Chargers, said he was the toughest player he's ever been around. So, yeah, I can see, I can attest to that. Okay, let's get to this, uh, Tyrone. Uh, the Buccaneers look closer to the Buccaneers that we expected in the preseason. They beat Seattle over in Germany 21-16. I'll tell you what about the, the international games. They sure love their football, especially over there in Germany. They were singing and dancing. Ten minutes after the game, they were still in their seats. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's like American uh, football and football, soccer. Yeah. It, it, those are the games that I think you can paint your face. You can paint your face and you can be wild and crazy and have fun. So I think that energy carries over from soccer to uh, football. Uh, maybe football gives them a little bit more of an opportunity to drink their favorite beer and, and everything. So, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the overseas game, you know, American football going overseas, I just think anytime something new comes to a particular area, it just brings excitement. And, you know, we enjoy our American football over here. There are a lot of people who go into depression when the football season is over. So, again, it just lets you know that if it's fun here, then when it goes overseas, uh, people try to mimic what they see on TV, what they see us doing here in the States. And, yeah, uh, it's great to see the game go overseas and people have fun. So, with regards to overseas, you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Do you think you could ever see um, a situation where we have international teams on a regular basis in the league? And here's maybe why we couldn't. Unless they somehow can do some, you know, divisions, internet, or like European divisions where they play each other and then somehow morph it into the regular uh, playoff format. I don't know how they do that, but just uh, in, the, in the format we have now, because that game... The Seattle Seahawks were playing that game 6.30 a.m. Seattle time. That's what it was. And they looked like they were sleepwalking early on. Mm. You, you, you know what? I, I definitely would say that it's good probably from a financial standpoint, but 
from a physical standpoint for the players because these owners, they're not playing the game. You know, they probably enjoy the trip over and treat it like a vacation. But we as players, it takes a toll on your body. You have to get the right amount of sleep in order for your body to operate at maximization. And when you're not aware, and like you said, sleepwalking, that's when injuries start to happen because you're not, your reaction is a little bit slower when you're kind of half sleepy versus when you are fully alert, you're able to move left and right and uh, avoid injury. So it's good from a financial standpoint, but from a physical standpoint, myself being a player, I would not want to go overseas every year uh, unless they had 10 teams already overseas. And just like they would have like the World League, and they did all the teams were over there. So you got teams overseas, but the travel is not as demanding. So that's the only way I think this would work. Yeah. Okay. So um, you, you look at uh, the the disappointing teams. Okay, we got the Rams at three and six, and you got the Broncos at three and six. What's the more disappointing team to you, the Rams or the Broncos? Well, without a doubt, it's the Rams. The Rams. I'm like, you're last year's champion. You know what it takes to get there. You know what it takes. And not to play at the level of the previous year? No, it's, it's the Rams. Yeah. Uh, the Broncos, I think they're basically looking for Russell Wilson to come in and do some miracles. But, you know, I think Russell is a product. He's a great quarterback. I like him. But I think just like any person, uh, you need other players around you. And I think when Russell was in uh, Seattle, you know, they had a real great defense and a real great running game. Uh, so, but to answer your question, it's the L.A. Rams. They are a big disappointment. Super Bowl hangover, that's what you want to call it. All right, so who are this year's Bengals? Maybe they are the Bengals themselves because the Bengals last year were kind of a middling team on the bubble, got hot, went to the Super Bowl, and almost won and took a Matthew Stafford no-look pass for the Rams to win that game on home turf. So maybe it is the Bengals. But how about the other L.A. team, the Chargers? They're 5-4. and four. They're still in the mix, and they are the most injury-depleted team in the NFL by a country mile. Yeah, you know, it could be the Chargers um, or it could be the Dolphins. You know, the Dolphins, I I really like what they're able to do. They're able to go deep. Uh, uh, Tyreek Hill, as long as everybody stays healthy. That's always the intangible that cannot be identified until it happens is the injury. Um, You know, you look at the Baltimore Ravens. uh, Yes, they're not the Baltimore Ravens of old. uh, And the Dallas Cowboys. You know, the Dallas Cowboys are putting some things together uh, in uh, Dallas. uh, But really, I like the 49ers. I like the 49ers. I think once they kind of get everything rolling, they could be that team as the Bengals were last year. All right. Lastly, we do a thing called Work That Thing. Uh, Why don't you explain what that means and give us your Work That Thing player? Yeah, Work That Thing. Basically, there's a a segment uh, where we give an award, Work That Thing, to a player who actually did tremendous effort, gave tremendous effort to help their team overcome the opposition to get that victory. Because they had to work that thing. And my work that thing, we mentioned him earlier. 
Justin Jefferson, baby. I'm mm. like, Justin Jefferson, he worked that thing. Ten catches. The one-handed catch, really, he worked that thing. So, ten catches for 193 yards and a touchdown. I'm like, he worked that thing yesterday. I agree. And mine quickly would be Justin Fields of the Bears. Even though they lost 31-30, to 30, that dude had two nice runs, including a 60 60- eight-yard touchdown run. I don't know how great a quarterback he is right now, but he is a dynamic athlete. I love watching him play. Quickly, Tyrone, they want to get more information on you, guest speaking, your supplements, everything like that. Where can they find you, my friend? Ooh, if you want to be motivated, if you're feeling down and you need to get up, you need some injection, you need some fuel, some octane, you need to call me. You better call Tyrone. You go to TyronePool38.com, TyronePool38.com, and I will come to where you want me to be. If you want to get healthy, if you want to get healthy, go to WorkThatThing.com, WorkThatThing.com, and also my foundation. Foundation. If you want to help me continue to build champions locally and globally, maybe right there in your own backyard, go to Tyrone Pool 38 foundation.org. So again, Michael, it's always an honor uh, to be with you and all of my friends in Canada. Go work at me. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next Monday. All right. That's Tyrone Poole joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Arash Madani and the Argonauts. Josh Haggerty joins us before the show's done here on 620. Time now for Coast to Coast with Arash Madani. Our weekly chat with a guy who has covered it all. From Hockey Night in Canada, the Olympics, World Series Baseball, and everything in between. This is Coast to Coast with Arash Madani. And it's brought to you by Smart Investing Solutions. Be smart with your money. Call Brian Golly at Smart Investing Solutions, 546-2533. We'll get to the Great Cup talk in a second, Arash. I want to ask you your opinion on this. Germany hosted a NFL game, very... Uh, Spirited. Yeah, enthusiastic crowd. They were pumped. But as I mentioned to Tyrone Poole, the two-time Super Bowl champ who was on just before you, um, Seattle was basically playing at 6.30 in the morning their time. I don't yeah. I don't see how international football works in terms of expanding to uh you know internationally in terms of like England or Germany maybe Mexico but uh yeah I can't see it otherwise. I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime Balsy. But at NFL headquarters at pa- on Park Avenue there and Roger Goodell is behind us cuz remember Roger Goodell cut his teeth at NFL International before he came over to the actual league headquarters and then obviously becoming commissioner. There is a hope, I call it a pipe dream, that one day there will be a European division Mm -hmm. over there. That there will be two or three teams in Germany. And Germany is now the new real emphasis for them. They've, They've had their imprint in London. And, you know, they play at the Tottenham Stadium and Wembley and the rest. But they, if... If they could put together their wish list, there would be an international European division that they, they believe could work from a business standpoint. The, the real question is, how does it work from a football standpoint? Not just games, free agency and trades and travel for interconference games and the rest. How does that all work? That becomes the question. The Minnesota Vikings arrived yesterday. That was a season-defining win. That was a big win. Yes, they got some help from the Bills, but they had to get in position to get helped. Um, 
I'll tell you what, man. I was like watching Stefan Diggs and uh, Justin Jefferson was like watching a slam dunk competition of wide receivers. That's a great call. Uh, Bulge, I was there. I went down. Mm. Two, three-hour drive from uh, from Toronto. And this is this sounds hot takey, but hear me out on this. Justin Jefferson is a top-five player in football. Mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson is the best player in football today that's not a quarterback. Okay, like if you're, if you're talking NFL MVP right now, it's Jalen Hurts, it's Josh Allen, it's Patrick Mahomes, and I put Justin Jefferson there. On the fourth and 19 play, the defining play of the game, with one hand diving backwards, rips the ball out of the defensive back's palm, comes down with it, Inbounds catch, bikes come down. Next thing you know, touchdown Minnesota. That's a he, he that, does the incredible. That's that He's might, unbelievable. That might be the best catch by a Vikings receiver ever, including Randy Moss and Chris Carter. Like that was unbelievable. Like in my lifetime, I never thought I'd see a player better than Jerry Rice. And then I never thought I'd see a play a wide receiver. Sorry, not play wide receiver better than Jerry Rice. And I never thought I'd see a wide receiver better than Randy Moss. And then T.O. rolled around. I'm like, well, he's not quite Rice or or Moss, but he's right there. And I tell you what, Justin Jefferson's in that conversation already. Well, three years into his career, I'm going to tell you this right now. You kind of had a slip and corrected yourself, but you shouldn't have, in my opinion. I think the greatest, uh, the greatest football player of all time was Jerry Rice. to to do what, To do what he did as a wide receiver, when a wide receiver doesn't touch the ball all the time, uh, not a running back, not a quarterback. I, I I still think Jerry Rice was the greatest of all time. Let's get. You, you know why I like conversations like this, by the way? Yeah, because balls, you may not be right. But you're certainly not wrong. Yeah, it's it's open to it's like here's another good one. Here's another good one. I cheer for a hockey team that arguably I don't think there's an argument. The great when you score as many points, when you if you never scored a goal and you're still the leading goal scorer or a point getter in your sport, Wayne Gretzky, you're the greatest player of all time. And I I sure. com- I compare him era to era. Like you know, within his yeah. era, he dominated. I can't go or versus him, whatever. But I'm going to tell you this right now. Maybe the greatest offensive player in the history of hockey is is uh, Connor McDavid. Just what he can do. Sure. Like it's crazy. Sure. It's crazy to watch him play. It is unbelievable. And to to think Edmonton got gifted with two of the greatest players ever uh is is unbelievable. Okay, speaking of greatness, Bo Levi Mitchell gets traded today and my phone or his rights got traded and my phone's blowing up. See Ballsy, I told you he's not coming here. He doesn't want to come here. Now Dave Naylor said it's a done deal. He's just gonna end up in Hamilton. I Say my sources tell me that he is going to go to free agency and see what's out there. And really, Arash, you'd be a fool if he didn't. Well, and this is it. Bo has the opportunity then now to see what's out there. Why wouldn't he? Yeah. Why wouldn't he wait? The the only reason I could see that he wouldn't is if Hamilton blows him away with an absurd offer, which could happen because that's a very Hamilton thing to do. They've always been looking for, you know, the quote-unquote savior. They always thought they'd had it with a head coach. Nobody fired coaches the way Hamilton did. But I, I and, and this isn't sourced. I haven't spoken with Bo. 
I don't, I haven't spoken with his agent, but I just kind of look at this and I'm saying to myself a few things. One, what happened to the Grey Cup news blackout and things you weren't supposed to do? What happened to that? I guess that doesn't matter yeah. when, you know, you're Bob Young's comment. You know, no, 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 let me stop you. You're right. Okay. Because we had to, no, I'll let you finish. But we, the, I, you brought you brought it up and I'm glad you did because I forgot to bring it up. Like, I, I, I sniffed around and said, I thought you can't make trades. Well, you can still do it. You just can't announce it. But they, I was told from people. But they both did. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I was told from behind the scenes that this would be too quiet to, uh, to keep under wraps. So that's why they let this one out. That's what I was told. Right. So. I still think it makes – look, Bo now has leverage. Bo has leverage because Hamilton's given up a couple of picks. Bo has leverage because you know Toronto's interested. You know Saskatchewan is interested. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how this shakes down. I, I don't get the sense, Balzine, I don't know about you, I don't get the sense that this deal was made with the deal in the drawer signed. No. But but what Hamilton's done obviously is given themselves six weeks or eight weeks or whatever that number is to to see what they want to do. Um So if Bo doesn't come here, if Bo Levi Mitchell let's let's go under the assumption that Bo's in Hamilton and he's not coming to Saskatchewan. What should the riders do for a quarterback? I don't know how many options they have. I guess I guess you have to go try and get Dane Evans. Mm, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The other question becomes, and then I really wonder about this. I'm not sure, and it would be fitting because he's, he feels like he's about to become the next Kevin Glenn playing everywhere. What about Nick Arbuckle? Yeah, he doesn't really sell you tickets, though. That doesn't blow anybody's socks off. Do you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. I don't think any, any quarterback that is a legitimate possibility to end up in Regina is going to sell you tickets other than Bo. Because who else is there? There isn't. You're right. Right. Is there a scenario where we can have Jimmy Garoppolo, Cody Fajardo back with the Riders? I have a hard time seeing it. Me too. I mean, the difference between Garoppolo and Fajardo is Jimmy last year got San Francisco to the NFC title game. He had previously quarterbacked them into the Super Bowl, and they led by two scores in the fourth quarter. Uh, Cody just has not had any real accomplishment past the first six weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, Jimmy is still a capable, competent quarterback, and San Francisco was going to hand the reins over to Trey Lance, who, you know, they gave up all those picks for. So San Francisco had somebody waiting in the wings. The Riders have nobody waiting in the wings. You know, I thought it was a great... Uh... Great moment yesterday in terms of visually seeing Nathan Rourke crying on the sidelines, hugging Brian, uh, hugging Brian Burnham. Brian Burnham has been his quote unquote security blanket as a receiver. I thought it was a touching moment because you know he wanted to win a championship for Brian Burnham. He has he has more tomorrows than yesterday, but Burnham has more yesterdays than tomorrows in professional football. But I often wondered was he crying because that maybe that was his last uh, game with the BC Lion too? Do you think Nathan Rourke is back? The answer is I don't know. I, I think those tears were more that the journey is over after everything we put, put through is over, that, Brian, I, I so wanted this for you. I, I don't think that was a, a farewell, so to speak. You know, and I know that there have, I think Farhan reported that, you know, the, the first digit is going to be a five, that Rourke's going to command over five hundred grand Canadian, and he's earned it and he deserves it and all those things. I just, 
Ballsy, I just I, I don't think we know because it all depends on the situation in which Nathan Rohr could find himself in if the NFL comes calling. And we just don't know. It's way too early in, in, in the whole conversation. And, you know, it's easy to say, okay, well, P.J. Walker's, you know, starting in Carolina, Nathan Rourke's better than him. I get it. I get that. But that's just not how the business of the NFL works. It's about the offer. It's about contracts. It's about the salary cap. It's about the optics. It's about selling it in the market. It's about, okay, who's going to come in here and how quickly will he learn the offense and the, the American game and all those things. So the answer is I don't know, but I don't think it's as easy and simple as it may seem to be on the surface. And that's why Bo needs to wait, because Hamilton and Saskatchewan, I would say, are the front runners. They don't have NHL teams. Hear me out. You want to be, he wants to be the guy. He's been in a hockey market, so I believe that is a bit of a factor, too. And those are the two non-quote-unquote hockey markets here in the CFL, okay? So there's that. Um, but... You know, Toronto. And I just don't know what McLeod Bethel talks. Yeah, that's where that, that, that's where I'm going. You were the guy to report that. What's happening? Because I think Toronto is interested too. If they don't win the Grey Cup, maybe they move on from McLeod, even if he still wants to play, and they go after Bo Levi Mitchell because the Dinwiddie connection. But even if he does win, maybe McLeod leaves, like you were alluding to. Are you hearing any more? I, I'm not hearing any more, and I think I, you know, McLeod's pretty invested into the team and and everything right now, and you kind of you know deal with that in the off season. I'm interested to see what comes up of that Grey Cup week, et cetera. Um, but there, there are a whole bunch of musical chairs and dominoes here. Okay, let's just go through it real quick. What's Jeremiah Masoli's health on May 15th of next year? I don't think anybody really knows. Will Ottawa go with he and Arbuckle? Can they work both of them under the cap? Or do they have to move on from one of them or not? What happens if Nathan Rourke does leave? Does that mean Vernon Adams is the guy there? Um, you know, there's on and on we can go through the through the scenarios that could play out. So, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces to this. And so today, as fun as it is to speculate in the middle of November of what next year may look like, I can present to you a bunch of different scenarios that make sense today, but we just don't know if they're going to happen or not. Okay, before I let you go, I got Josh Haggerty coming up next. Here's the guy that uh, two years ago I did a Can West Top 50 YouTube thing, kind of like the NFL. I asked coaches, I asked players. He made it to 44. This was before he went to camp with the Argos, okay? He goes and the Argos ends up in a right situation, and now he is going to be back here competing for a Grey Cup in his home park where he grew up wanting to be a CFL player watching the Riders. I think that's one of the great cool stories of this Grey Cup week. So good. And that's why the Canadian factor is so important. Not just that, but that's part of why the Canadian factor is so important. Who are top three on your list? Canada West. Oh, that was a couple of years hey, ago. Donna J, uh, no, 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 no. Who the, well, it was the Phil Potts were up there. And I'll tell you this, too. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, but I will tell you this. Actually, I think the top player was... Oh, who was it? I think it was, I want to say it was a Philpott boy. I thought the Philpots would be, like, they're great players coming out of Can West, but they had kind of so-so combine numbers. I've heard they aren't the hardest working guys in the gym. I'll, be, I'll tell you what, I've been impressed with what they did this year, both Philpott boys. Well, I, I my all-time Canada West, just off the top of my head, and I'm yeah. 
dug yep. you through this, but I put uh, Israel Adonijah of the Manitoba Bisons and David Onyemata of the Manitoba oh, yeah. Bisons yeah. at the top, right? I mean, Onyemata's been with the Saints since 2016, I want to say. Mm. Um, Adonijah had a decorated career with, with Chicago, survived a long time there. So those, those would be just because of how accomplished they were, not just getting to the NFL, but surviving and well, staying could, in the NFL. You could throw Akeem Hicks in there, too, with Frank McCrystal totally. getting Hicks there, and now he's in Tampa. All right, Arash, thanks for your time. We'll catch up the, uh, with you later. Uh, when do you leave for uh, for the, the, the World Cup? We are still waiting to find out, Ballsy. Okay. You'll be the first to know. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Okay, bud. All right, when we come back, we'll wrap the show up with Josh Haggerty talking a little Grey Cup for the young guy from Regina. This is the Sports Cage on 620. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Welcome back. Show brought to you by Andrew Shared Limited, supplying HVAC, plumbing, and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at Sherrod.com. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime, a great time to order Western Pizza. There's one more game on the CFL schedule it's at mosaic stadium and this guy is a young guy watched the rough riders and probably dreamt of winning a gray cup and probably dreamt of winning it in regina he is josh Haggerty of the toronto argonauts campbell tartan former u.s husky starting to sink in that you're playing for the championship now here in regina yeah starting to uh, i think it'll kick in a lot more once we get down to regina but i'm starting to get excited now you guys coming to town tomorrow is that right yeah, yeah, we'll fly in tomorrow afternoon. When, when do you get in? To, later tomorrow afternoon? Yeah, I think around 4 o'clock. Awesome. Okay, so what's the week look like for you? Like, how many tickets do you need to get? How many are you allowed to get, Hags? Uh, so we get two given to us, all the players, and then we have an opportunity to buy some more through Ticketmaster and stuff. So I've already gotten my family members to get uh, get tickets already, so I think we're good to go on that. Awesome. How many fa- friends and family going to be there? How big is the Haggerty can, uh, you know, uh, group? Uh, should be about uh, seven or eight. Okay. So remember the last time, or you, you talked about the last time you were on, you went to the 2013 game, watched the Riders win it here on home turf, so that's cool. What's your first memory of the Grey Cup? Uh, probably when the Riders won it in 07. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was pretty young then. I was about nine years old, but I just remember watching that Western final and then, uh, and then for the Riders to go on and beat Winnipeg and it was a pretty special game. And I remember going down the South drive with my family and, and walking through the crowd of people celebrating and stuff. So yeah, that was a pretty special, great cup. Your coach was the losing quarterback. Do you bug him about that? <laughs> no, I don't give him a hard time about that. <laughs> How did that feel to finally win that game? Last year, you guys lost on home turf. And I'll tell you what, something to be celebrated, man. Over 21,000 were at that game. What was it like to have a real crowd at that game? Yeah, the atmosphere was unbelievable. The stadium was packed and it was really loud. Um, the crowd did a great job the whole game. Um, we couldn't have asked for anything more, honestly. It was, it was a special game. Uh, we were just dialed in from start to beginning, and, and we knew that we should win that game, and we deserved to be in this great cup. So I think we had a lot better approach going into it this year as opposed to last year, and uh, obviously the final result uh, paid off this year. You're four-and-a-half-point underdogs. 
playing against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. That's probably accurate. Uh, after your game, where did you guys hang out together to watch the West Final? What did you do there? I'm, I'm interested in that. Uh, yeah, some guys kind of went off with their families and, and kind of did their own thing right after the game. Um, but for the most part, everyone was watching their game kind of on their own and starting to get some film on, on who we're going to play. So, yeah, no, it's going to be fun to play Winnipeg again. We played them once this year, so this will be the second time. And, yeah, it'll be, I think it'll be a good matchup. Now, it's going to be pretty well mapped out for you here, but do you and uh, Theron Churchill get uh, pegged to be the tour guides now when you come back to Regina here? Uh, yeah, probably. We already got guys asking us like spots to eat or, or where to go or do this and that and asking about weather already. So, yeah, I'm sure guys will be coming to me all week about questions. You got to pinch yourself, man. Like you could, I, I think you'd still have you'd still have some eligibility in U sports, so you could be playing for a Vanier Cup this coming, you know, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but you get a chance to win a Grey Cup. Wouldn't it be ironic if the Huskies go on to win the Vanier and you win the Grey Cup? Yeah, that'd be special. Yeah, I'd be in a fifth year right now with the Huskies, but no, I, I definitely think both of us could get it done this year. I think they have a very good chance of winning the NA this year, and I think we have a good chance of winning the Grey Cup, so that, that'd just be amazing for, for myself and for my, my guys, so yeah, hopefully. Okay, so uh, Hags, I'm a degenerate, uh, degenerate gambler, so why should I put money on you and the Toronto Argonauts? Why should I be confident to put down a fifth ski on the uh, Boatman? Uh, you know, honestly, I think uh, we matched up against Winnipeg really well. Uh, the last three times we've played them, we uh, we beat them once uh, pretty good last year, and then we lost by one point this year. So we're a pretty good matchup against them, and I think we're playing the best football we've played all year in the last few games. Uh, we've gotten some big guys back off of injury, and uh, I think offensively we're starting to hit our stride big time, and I think we got the best defense in the league. So. I think that, and then just having the expertise of all the, the leaders and the veterans on our team is going to really help us in this game. And I think uh, we got kind of a nothing-to-lose mentality. You know, like they, they have to defend off this 3 P and, and we're kind of the underdogs, so we like that. So uh, were you intrigued to see Kalaros go down there and not come in in the fourth quarter? That probably raised some eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate to see anyone get injured. You hate to see that, but it's a part of the game and stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm sure he'll be he'll be ready to go for the game. I'm, I'm sure of it. But uh, yeah, just how how healthy he'll be will be the question. And and um, yeah, hopefully we can kind of get after him a bit and make him uncomfortable in the pocket and uh, kind of let the defense eat. You're a prairie boy. Are you warning these guys to dress warm? Because, I mean, you've been playing in basically Miami-like weather. It's cold here, man. It's like minus 9, minus 16 with the wind chill. It's supposed to be minus 6 at kickoff for Haggerty. He's used to it. But are you telling these guys, hey, like, uh, I don't know, like, um, you know, some of these guys, hey, you got to dress warm? Oh, yeah, for sure. I've been telling them all week that, uh, they got to dress warm and they got to bring their all their winter gear that they have and go get some more because, uh, yeah, it's going to be a chilly one. But some guys are worried about it and some guys don't really care. I think come, we're going to get used to it throughout this week and stuff and we'll get acclimated and it uh, it won't be too bad. You can always uh, take layers off. So we could just dress warm. It's an aw- This is Lastly, uh, Josh, this is an awesome story. Like I did that Can West uh, YouTube uh, show where I asked coaches and players to rank players. And the year that you were, uh, would have been you're going into your fourth year coming out of the pandemic, people picked you at number 44. But you go to camp, you make the team, 
You get to the East final, you lose out, and now you're playing in a Grey Cup as a professional football player. Like that, it that's that speaks to the greatness of Canadian football and why we need the ratio in Canada to give a guy like you a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we've started to show in the past few years that like the Canadian talent up here is just as good or, or better than than the American talent in certain positions and. You're starting to see a lot more Canadian guys playing those skill positions and at a high level. So it's it's great for the ratio to give guys like us a chance and stuff that might not get the same look from uh, American coaches. But but yeah, no, it's it's been it's been a great journey so far, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I'm excited to see where the rest of my career goes. Okay, give us a, T- a TMZ hot fashion tip. Give us the inside scoop. So Winnipeg's going with their white road unis. Are you going with the blue and the baby blue pants? Or are you going with what you wore yesterday? I honestly really don't know. Some guys are already trying to ask today what we're going to wear, and, and our equipment guys give us nothing yet, so I think it's going to be a surprise for us as well. What do you want to wear? Uh, You're into swag. Honestly, I like, I, yeah, I honestly am a big fan of the, the navy tops and the powder pants or the yeah. white pants with the, with the navy, like what we wore in Halifax, yeah. or, or what we wore um, a couple games ago against Montreal. Those are my two favorite home uniforms, so... Yeah, we'll see. But I yeah. like that. I like that powder blue pants look. I did too. I didn't like looking at it in uh, Halifax because you guys beat the Riders, and that's really where the season went down. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I'm gonna be. I'm a big Argo fan because of you, and because Ooh. I basically hate the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So let's go Argos. Thanks for your time, Hags. We'll see you around the week. Okay. All right, appreciate it. Awesome, Josh Haggerty joining us. If you missed any of the show, it's in podcast form in a few minutes with our friend Nick Katchmar, the pride of Ituna. He was here helping us out today. He'll be here tomorrow. Uh, we will have a, a great show tomorrow. Got a couple of betting experts on the show. Um, lots to get to. It's its Grey Cup week, and we are excited. This has been the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRA.